0: Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper.
1: And I'm Mary Maté. Hey, everybody. Our website is UsefulIdiotsPodcast.com. Go there for bonus content and to support the show. And Katie, you have an exciting event to announce coming up in New York City.
0: I do. So Tuesday, uh, January 16th at 7 p.m., I'll be in a historic moment doing a live show with none other than journalist Rania Kalick, journalist Abby Martin, and... PSL presidential candidate and organizer, Claudia De La Cruz. And that's going to be at the People's Forum in New York City. And you can buy tickets at peoplesforum.org. And uh, it's going to be great if you're not in town, although I really do recommend if you're in town that you go and see in person. But if you're not in town, I will be streaming it at youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show.
1: Very exciting. This is kind of like that version of that lefty lady version of The View that you wanted exactly,
0: to do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We just wish Brianna Joy Gray could could join us, but she'll be there in spirit. Uh, but next time we do it, we'll try to have Bre there.
1: All right. Let's get to our four basic food groups. What do we have for Democrats suck?
0: So for Democrats suck, we have uh, a suckage, major suckage from, of course, uh, Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken, But just so you understand what happened, it's uh, very, very sad news, hardly surprising, sadly though, which is that Israel just killed journalist Hamza Dadu, as well as his colleague Mustafa Thiraya, in an airstrike in a supposedly safe area of Gaza. And they were, ironically, trying to interview people who had been displaced by bombings. And Hamza is the son of Al Jazeera's Gaza bureau chief, Wa'el Dadu. And people probably remember that Dadu was shot. Uh, His colleague was killed. He was shot, he survived. And also his wife, daughter, son, and grandchild were killed along with 21 other people who were in a refugee camp that they went to following warnings from Israel to evacuate from the north of Gaza. So just yet another example of Israel killing people in places that they tell them to go to. And here is Anthony Blinken being asked about that.
2: I am deeply, deeply
0: sorry. 110 journalists being targeted, targeted by the IDF, uh, including our uh, colleague, son of our colleague uh, Mahmoud Waala Tadouh, Hamza Waala Tadouh. Is the United States condemn targeting journalists? I am deeply,
1: deeply sorry for the almost unimaginable loss. Suffered by uh, your colleague, all that do.
2: I am. Uh, I'm a parent myself.
1: I can't begin to imagine the horror that he's experienced. Not not once, but now, now twice. This is uh, an unimaginable tragedy, and. That's also been the case for, as I said, far too many
2: innocent Palestinian men, women, and children.
0: There you have uh, Blinken talking about the targeted murder of journalists. It's now been 110 journalists who have been killed by Israel. Talking about the targeted murder of, of journalists as if it's kind of a natural disaster or some kind of tragedy and as if it's something that the United States couldn't actually put a stop to.
1: You know what a phony he is? He can't even get his his, uh, his fake condolence talking point straight. So he says, I am deeply sorry for the almost unimaginable loss, right? I don't know why he throws in almost unimaginable. I mean, you generally say it's unimaginable right. when you're talking about someone's grief because it is unimaginable. It's, it's when you're not in that position and you, you can't even imagine it. So this is almost unimaginable. But then at the end, he says it's an unimaginable tragedy. So he goes from it's almost unimaginable to now he's saying it's unimaginable. So it
0: got up- upgraded. Yeah,
1: very quickly. So obviously they rehearsed his talking points, his right. fake grief,
0: right? Uh, and and he messed how, it up the first time, right? Is what yeah, you're
1: saying? And, no, and notice how he doesn't answer the question. The question was, "Do you condemn the targeting of journalists?" Right. Of course, he doesn't. And he offers the fact that he's a father himself, trying to like uh, pretend as if he's putting himself in the same position. Right. As, so manipulative. Yeah, the fakest diplomat. This country has ever seen i think um, yeah He's just such a actor the only thing that he does put any real effort to is how he styles his hair in the morning with, right. with that moose he's definitely too much mousse. To mousse. yeah well that's the only thing he does put any serious honest effort into everything else is a fake
0: yeah a fraud yeah maybe he said almost unimaginable because he knows it's totally imaginable that israel would do this
1: mm. By now, that's a good point. It's very imaginable. Exactly. But it's it's also
0: disgusting because Israel does this a lot. You see this in their Hasbara and we see Netanyahu doing this, like trying to appeal to fatherhood or to children or something to kind of like manipulate people into thinking Mm -hmm. that you care. Like when Mm -hmm. when um, Dana bash asked Netanyahu something about whether or not there were hostages in the buildings that were bombed. And he was like, we're talking about people who kill children. I don't know if you have kids, Dana, but I'm sure people in your crew have kids. You know, it's just like a relevant attempt to reach people emotionally and try to pretend that they're not sociopaths or psychopaths. Not sure. 100%. Yeah.
1: Okay. For Republicans suck, let's turn to a reliable favorite. Donald Trump has been doing some interviews recently. He is gearing up to sweep the Republican nomination once again. Here he's talking about one of his favorite topics, immigration.
2: But they're coming in from the prisons all over the world. This isn't just in South America. All over Africa. In the Congo, they the other day, people released from prisons in the Congo.
1: In fact, some of these people make our
2: prisoners look like very nice people.
0: Very nice
1: people. So I think he's saying there. I think he's, he's expanding uh, his fear monitoring of in terms of documented immigrants coming to the U.S. In 2016, he was focused mainly on Mexico. You know, they're sending their rapists, all that stuff. Now he's decided to pluck Congo off the map and uh, throw in them too.
0: He's becoming internationalist. Yes, he's really beautiful to see. Exactly. Yes.
1: Yes. And here he is, basically wishing for the collapse of the economy before he takes office in twenty twenty four.
2: When there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next twelve months because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover, the one president. I just don't want to be Herbert Hoover.
1: (laughs) So I appreciate, and of course, the one. Yeah. Democrats have uh, clipped this out and taken advantage of it saying that Trump is wishing for the collapse of the economy soon. And, yeah, you can you can, re- you can read it that way because he's saying if there is a crash, I hope it's before I would be back in office.
0: Which is actually a rare moment of humility for him. I'm surprised he's not like, I could take a crash and turn it around.
1: Yes. I'm sure we'll get that from him next if, uh, if this talking point spreads. Right. But, yeah, anyway, it's going to be a really fun campaign season with this guy once again squaring off with uh, – Joe Biden.
0: Well, for Isn't That Weird, I got a a cute Isn't That Weird, and this one's about Neil the Seal, who is an internet sensation, and he's been flopping around Australia. Let's take a look. Yeah, I wouldn't get too close. Yeah. Move the wheelchair. Move the wheelchair. Yeah, don't get too close. Jesus, guys. He's a wild mammal. God, scared me amazing what the locals do
2: for neil this year oh neil what are we gonna do with you
0: he is so cute and the truth is i don't know that's a story from the post they haven't done a deep dive into this they're surprisingly their journalism is not top notch here uh but all we do know is that neil the seal is stealing hearts around the globe the tasmanian sensation is a colossal guess how much how much do you think he weighs
1: Oh, uh, I I wouldn't dare to try to uh guess Neil's weight. You know, I uh, you, I want to, respect you don't want to a body me. shame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you, um thirteen hundred pounds. Thirteen hundred wow. pound elephant seal hilariously causing chaos in the town of Dunnelly, Australia. But he doesn't look more than a thousand pounds. He wears um, it well.
1: <laughs> he does wear it very well. Yes. And uh it's amazing how many Australia is the reliable supplier of so many of these uh heart touching mammal yeah. story you know uh, kangaroos too i mean we get we get really the whole gamut yeah uh, so thank you australia for brightening up our, our world so often
0: yeah although i gotta say i'm i'm kind of anti kangaroo they really? seem cute when they're hopping around but they there's a video of a kangaroo trying to go for someone's dog and as someone pointed out the kangaroo look like an ex-con uh they have very muscular cores and it's actually very scary uh, so well, that's I, your did, I did not know
1: that. Uh, so, wh- which do you like less, kangaroos or sharks? Because, because you said before that you really hate sharks.
0: Yeah, I do, and the, and the world is filled with shark agenda, but kangaroo ganda too, because they're so seemingly cute. Um, I'd say sharks overall hatred, but kangaroo for the kind of sleeper,
1: for okay. being
0: sleeper evil.
1: Okay, all right. So keep
0: your eyes out. Be on the lookout. Yeah, there you have. It. Yeah.
1: Okay, first isn't that terrible, we're gonna go back to Tony Blinken, the Sorry, reliable guys. supplier of just so much awfulness. Uh. Here he is, fresh off his latest visit to Israel, and this is what he has to announce. I met with Netanyahu and reaffirmed our support for Israel's right to prevent another October 7th from occurring. I also stressed the importance of avoiding civilian harm, protecting civilian infrastructure, and ensuring the distribution of humanitarian assistance throughout Gaza. Look at that first sentence. This is what they're now calling it. Israel's right to prevent another October 7th from occurring. I guess Israel's right to defend itself wasn't really catching on because how can you claim a country is defending itself when it's massacring children and all these other innocents constantly? The official death toll now is well over 23,000. The actual toll, I'm sure, is far higher. Because there are people still
0: under the rubble.
1: Israel's right to defend itself from another October 7th occurring. And it's just, um, I bet they thought, that this might convince people that it's okay to keep destroying right. Gaza, creating more refugees, you know, killing more people. Um, but, but what about Palestinians, right, to prevent another 1947, or actually earlier, 19, I don't know, early early 20th century, because that's when the first Zionist immigration happened, right. uh, up, up until the present from occurring, you know. Um, or even looking just from a more recent lens, how about, is uh Palestinians right to prevent all of 2023 into 24 from happening because before october 7th Palestinians were being killed and after october 7th they're being mass murdered right so what about their right
0: and also Aaron, it's not even their right to defend themselves from october 7th it's the right to preempt an october 7th or prevent an october 7th it's like preemptive strike yeah, that's what he's yeah. endorsing yeah a preemptive exactly. strike basically yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, just absolutely disgusting. And you know how they could prevent an October seventh, or how they could have prevented it? They could have listened to the intelligence. They could have had people at the border instead of all at uh, the West Bank protecting settlers and helping them inflict violence on Palestinians.
1: Yeah, they could have ended their occupation. Uh, oh, right, their, of course. Yeah, of you know, course. Yeah. Um, and stop besieging Gaza and all—all all the things we talk about every single week. It's just right. so—it's so cynical. But that's but just, even you know, with.
0: Even within, I guess I'm just, obviously I want the occupation to be ended, but even within the the paradigm, its current paradigm of occupation, just pointing out that it's not like there's, the choices are do nothing or kill thousands of civilians. Like they I, drop
1: the ball. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And those have been your four basic food groups. Hope you enjoyed.
1: Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about
0: We are so excited to be speaking to Mouin Rabani. He is a Palestinian analyst, contributing editor of Middle East Report, co editor of Jadalaya, and host of the Connections podcast.
1: All right, let's go to Mouin Rabani. Mouin Rabani, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you. As we're recording this, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is on a tour of the Middle East. He's visited several countries, including Israel and Jordan. And when the US media covers his trip, pretty much universally, the framing is that Blinken is there to de-escalate tensions. What is your response to that framing?
2: Well, it's it's not only that, Um, it's being presented as kind of a humanitarian mission where he's flying all the way to the region to ensure that the poor people of Gaza um, get enough uh, humanitarian assistance. And the problem with that framing is that it's the same uh, Antony Blinken, who has now not once but twice approved uh, massive weapons deliveries to Israel, uh, overriding the right of Congress to review these sales, to ensure that Israel can continue with its destruction of the Gaza Strip, uh, to continue with its siege of the Gaza Strip. In other words, Blinken is completely on board with the policies that are depriving the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip of precisely the humanitarian assistance that he's claiming he wants to see uh, delivered to the Gaza Strip. The second issue is, um, as you mentioned, uh, regional escalation. And, um, you know, the problem with this framing is that what's really happening is that the United States, in coordination with the European Union, is seeking ways to ensure that Israel can continue with its genocide in the Gaza Strip undisturbed. In other words, no external parties should be um, uh, involved in this. This should be purely Israel. Having its way um, uh, with the Gaza Strip. And I thought um, one of the leaders of Ansar Allah, um, the Houthi movement in Yemen, had a a quite telling retort to this, saying, You know, you want us to stay out of this, uh, but you continue um, uh, your close alliance and, and unqualified support of Israel. What are we far away, but you're Israel's neighbor? Um, Are you sharing a room with uh, Netanyahu or something? So on what basis is it okay for uh, the Americans and the Europeans to effectively be participants in this conflict? But it's somehow illegitimate for any of the parties that are seeking um, to support and defend the Palestinians against genocide by Israel, um, they, they have to stay out. Now, I, I do have to say that I, I think there is another serious issue here, which is that um, the West, um, including this time the Biden administration, um, does not want to see regional escalation for another reason, which is that they do not want to get directly involved in armed hostilities with third parties, whether Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon or uh, the Houthis uh, in uh, Yemen, or potentially um, uh, others. And there's a real concern um, among many that Israel sees this as a unique opportunity to effectively fight its enemies and adversaries using American arms and um, uh, American soldiers. Because as you know, the U.S. has already pledged that um, if Hezbollah in Lebanon launches a full-scale assault on, um, uh, on Israel, that the U.S. will defend Israel. And it implies that if it is Israel that um, uh, initiates a full-scale conflict with Hezbollah, that the U.S. then won't get involved. But I think there's very few people who believe that if Israel initiates a war, with Hezbollah, that the U.S. is um, just going to say, "We told you we wouldn't. Uh, we told you we weren't going to get involved if you start the war." And the expectation is that the U.S. will get involved, and that therefore Israel will be um, emboldened to broaden hostilities across the region.
0: What about what's happening in Syria? Speaking of regional developments.
2: Well, I mean what's been happening in Syria is that um uh Israel is now attacking uh not only uh Iranian and Syrian targets uh within Syria but now also conducting assassinations of uh of Hamas leaders in Syria just as it has been in uh in Lebanon. And I think the other thing that's um, that's been happening in Syria is east of the Euphrates uh, River. You have um, militias that are aligned with the um, uh, coalition known as the Axis of Resistance, uh, launching growing numbers of attacks against uh, U.S. military bases in both Syria and Iraq, with a very clear agenda to expel U.S. forces uh, from these two countries, because in their view, Uh, the U.S. is there illegitimately and has no right uh, to retain a military presence in these countries, and particularly uh, Syria.
1: When Israel's been going about carrying out these assassinations, uh, recently assassinated a top Hamas official in Mm. Lebanon, um, has been carrying out since then uh, attacks on Hezbollah commanders. First of all, are you surprised at the intelligence that they've developed to be able to carry out these strikes they've obviously they obviously have their uh eyes and ears on the ground to be able to to locate these targets and what do you think they're what what do you think they they hope for in terms of a response from hezbollah do you think they want hezbollah to fire on more onto their territory as hezbollah has been doing what do you think they're gunning for there
2: well, to answer the first um, part of your question first, uh, I would draw a distinction between the assassination of uh, Salah al-Aruri, uh, the deputy head of the Hamas Politburo, along with uh, several of the commanders of the Qassam brigades in Lebanon and a few other Hamas cadres. I consider that somewhat of a known goal. I mean, these, these people um, knew they were wanted. Uh, Al-Aruri, at least, had been repeatedly... Um, uh, mentioned as a target of assassination by Israel yet they were meeting openly in a Hamas office um, in a in a building in uh, in in Beirut and it, to me it kind of boggles the mind uh, that operational security was sufficiently lax that they actually um, uh, conducted this meeting at that location um, in addition to being an assassination of a uh, a very senior um, Hamas leader, it was also, in my view, a direct provocation of Hezbollah um, because this took place in Beirut. This took took place in the southern suburbs of Beirut where um, uh, Hezbollah is dominant. And this took place in a context where the Secretary General of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, has repeatedly warned that if Israel conduct assassinations on lebanese territory whether of lebanese or of palestinians or of others that there would um uh, that there would necessarily be a response and we saw that hezbollah um subsequently uh conducted a sophisticated and wide-ranging attack on the meron um air force and command base in um in northern israel regarding these um other assassinations of Hezbollah officials, I presume those were more difficult for uh, Israel to carry out because Hezbollah as a rule has much better operational security. But I think more broadly, look, there are two things that the Israeli military and intelligence services uh, remain um, uh, reasonably proficient in. One is uh, killing staggering amounts of uh, civilians. And another is these um, extrajudicial executions, um, assassinations. They've gotten um, considerably worse at covering their tracks as we've seen in a number of incidents in recent years. But I think their intelligence apparatus is also very much focused on uh, locating and eliminating individuals because I think another illusion that the Israeli military and uh, security establishment operates under is that if you can only remove this one key leader or that um, uh, vital commander, then you've effectively weakened, if not defeated the relevant organization. And in fact, what we've seen over the years and the decades is that these organizations um tend to emerge strengthened uh, from from such attacks. I mean, Look, for example, at an, exam- at, at an assassination that's all often held up as a successful instance of this policy, and that was the assassination in 1995 of the founder and leader of uh, the Palestinian organization Islamic Jihad, uh, Feth Hishkaqi, in Malta. Well, at that time, Islamic Jihad didn't possess uh, a single rocket or uh, missile and basically had a bunch of uh, kalashnikovs and uh, pistols was the extent of its arsenal it's true that the uh, organization was um, significantly paralyzed for a certain amount of time but now in 2023 i think even fatih uh, would never have dreamed of islamic jihad uh, becoming as well-armed and proficient in uh, in using its arsenal as it is today.
0: How, how can Israel not know that these things create, as you say, um, a strengthened version of whatever organization they're trying to eliminate? Is it like, do you think that they intellectually know that, but they're just driven by a sense of humiliation and venge- a desire for vengeance?
2: I, I think vengeance is part of it. Um, let's also bear in mind that on October seventh, um, the Israeli military and intelligence services collapsed like a house of cards, and were basically uh, thoroughly humiliated on their own soil. Somewhat different than what we saw in 1973, where at least you know Israel could claim that these attacks came on the borders of, of occupied territory, uh, far from Israel's uh, boundaries. But I think it also reflects a mindset, you know, that I think. Israeli security officials and political leaders have have difficulty viewing their adversaries as a people, um, as a movement, as people with genuine um, uh, grievances, um, as people who are uh, organized. And so there's always kind of, I think, this tendency to identify an individual or group of individuals as kind of troublemakers who exist separately and apart from uh, the people, these are, you know, the only reason Palestinians are rebelling against us is because you have these troublemakers inciting them or uh, forcing them to throw stones at us or whatever. And there's always this idea that if we can just eliminate this leader or that group of commanders, then we've destroyed the organization, then these people won't need to feel intimidated and terrorized by this organization anymore, and um, uh, they'll stop uh, resisting our rules. So I think it's primarily a conceptual problem. I mean, to be sure, you know, losing um, uh, large amounts of, of commanders and leaders obviously hurts an organization. And on an at least temporary basis, it can weaken and even paralyze it. But if we look over time, You know, look at uh, Hezbollah in 1992 or 93, um, uh, Israel assassinated uh, uh, Hossein Musawi, the the leader of uh, Hezbollah. Well, they got Hassan Nasrallah instead, and he's proven to be Israel's uh, worst nightmare uh, since the day it was established. But again, you know, there's this idea of personalizing things. And also in this particular context, I think Israel has been unable to reach any of the key um, uh, military or political leaders of Hamas uh, in the Gaza Strip, and so being able to eliminate the deputy head of the um, Politburo in Beirut, again, a very substantial um, uh, leader, but nevertheless, one that's not in the Gaza Strip. You know, This can then be presented uh, to the Israeli public as some kind of significant uh, strategic achievement.
1: We are recording this shortly before the first hearings for South Africa's genocide case against Israel. And I wanted to get your response to Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who, during his tour of the Middle East, called South Africa's case meritless. We believe the submission against Israel to the International Court of Justice distracts the world from all of these important efforts, and moreover, the charge of genocide is meritless. It's particularly galling, given that those who are attacking Israel—Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis—as well as their supporter Iran—continue to openly call for the annihilation of Israel and the mass murder
2: of Jews. Antony Blinken should be outraged because if Israel is guilty of uh, of genocide. Um, then not only the United States, but Blinken personally is complicit in genocide and would be hauled uh, before a court and uh, and convicted of his role in perpetrating this genocide as well. And I think if you look at U.S. officials, aside from Biden, Blinken has been perhaps the most enthusiastic proponent of of this genocide. So I find his his outrage at this um at this case before the International Court of Justice completely understandable. I'd be even more upset if I were in his shoes. Um, but I think there are also several other issues that that, that bear comment here. First of all, uh, Blinken once again says that all these organizations have openly and publicly stated their intention um, to murder as many Jews as possible. I think he, I'm not sure those were his exact words, but that was kind of what he was getting at. Well, name me one example where Hamas has deliberately targeted Jews who are not Israeli. Or name me one example where Hamas has conducted attacks on non-Israeli Jews outside um, uh, the Middle East. So, you know, if you're going to make these kinds of accusations, at least have the decency to at least attempt um, uh, to substantiate them. And have most of these organizations stated uh, that that they do not accept that Israel has a right to exist or even should exist? Of course. Um, but to somehow suggests that it is not Israel, but these other uh, groups and states that are guilty of genocide, I think is, uh, is a slate of hand and, and too clever by half. And the thing about genocide is that even if Blinken was right, that each and every one of Israel's enemies is guilty either of perpetrating genocide or attempting to commit genocide, Genocide is one of those crimes um, where there is no defense. There is no self-defense argument. You know, um, A murder you can commit under particular circumstances, citing self-defense. But you can't commit genocide on the pretext. Um, or, you know, you can't commit genocide and then have a court of law accept that you were justified in doing so because you were also... Uh, the victim uh, of genocide. So this is, uh, it's obscene uh, really. But again, I can understand Blinken's outrage um, because the accusations are not only against his favorite state, um, but he himself is personally implicated in all of this. And here I think there's also um, a broader point to be made, which is that Israel has since its foundation sought to present itself as being somehow um, uh, reparations for the Nazi genocide against the Jews of Europe uh, during the 1940s and has often sought to defend its policies since then and to denounce its critics um, by saying it needs to uh, defend itself from a second holocaust. Uh, Blinken's uh, stepfather himself um, was was a uh, was a holocaust uh, survivor and so people like blinken you know in Israel have basically um made a whole career out of claiming that their purpose in life um, and their support for all the warmongering uh, policies that they've adopted they've sought to justify these um with reference to the holocaust in other words, you know we're not seeking um, to overthrow legitimately elected governments or destroy countries uh, like Iraq or, or um, colonize uh, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. It's not because we're warmongers and imperialists and colonialists. No, it's because we are informed by the lessons of the Holocaust, and our supreme duty is to ensure that nothing like that happens ever again. Well, look what's happening at the International Court of Justice this week. Um, this same state, that has um, hid behind the, the, the extermination of Europe's Jews um, for every one of its actions, now itself stands accused of, uh, of uh, genocide. I think after this case, irrespective of its outcome, Israel will forever be tainted by what it is doing in the Gaza Strip. And people will begin to recognize that Israel is not the Jewish state, but rather it is a Zionist state, um, and needs to be judged by the same standards as any other state or government conducting uh, similar policies and should know and will no longer uh, have Im- the types of immunity that it has enjoyed since uh, 1948 for these types of, uh, for these types of actions and policies. And as far as Blinken himself is concerned, the mask are off, the mask is off. He can claim till the cows get home about how the reason he supported the illegal invasion and occupation and destruction of Iraq, how come he's never met a war he hasn't fallen in love with. He can claim this is informed by the memory of his stepfather and his supreme uh, duty to prevent another genocide. Well he is now directly implicated in genocide. He's not only implicated, he's been giving it a standing ovation since the moment it started.
0: There does seem to be this very dangerous um, idea that you kind of see expressed implicitly, uh, if not explicitly, which is that as long as Israel doesn't do exactly what the Nazis did to the Jews, mm-hmm. that they are carrying out the legacy of never again. but. The legacy of never again should not be never again in this exact way to Jews. I mean, shouldn't it be never again will we let a genocide happen while the world does nothing or while the West um, participates in it?
2: Well, precisely. I mean, no two genocides are identical. Um, uh, No two uh, illegal wars are identical. You know, even if you look at the Nazi genocide, it took different forms. In different occupied territories, uh, at different uh, points in time, um, was Rwanda not a genocide because uh, there weren't uh, gas chambers? Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's verbal uh, verbal acrobatics and and uh, and somersaults, uh, really. And the the 1948 Genocide Convention specifies as a matter of law. Um, what constitutes genocide and what does not. And if you're um, found guilty under the genocide convention saying actually uh, we didn't build gas chambers is not going to be a legitimate defense.
1: And what do you make of the prospects for this case? How hopeful are you that this case by South Africa can act as a constraining force on Israel, this is the same court, the ICJ, that did issue that ruling in 2004, declaring that Israel's separation wall cutting through the West Bank was illegal.
2: Well, I think you're asking a very difficult um, uh, question. And my response to that would be that I think the primary significance of this case is that it is being brought at all. Genocide, in contrast to, for example, crimes against uh, humanity, is determined not only by what you do, but even more importantly, why you did it. In other words, um, the key determinant of genocide, to my understanding, is intent. Um, And if Israel or any other state um, slaughters two or three times as many people, and you cannot prove that their intent was to destroy a people in whole or in part, then they can be guilty of a lot of things, uh, but they're not guilty um, uh, of genocide. And again, I'm not an international lawyer, but I read through the South African uh, submission and I found it to be an exceptionally impressive document. Um, There were maybe two or three um, uh, Latin terms I have to look up using a search engine. But other than that, it's very readable, very comprehensive, um, goes into an enormous amount of detail about not only what Israel is actually doing in the Gaza Strip, but also about that other absolutely central issue, which is demonstrating that Israel has done this with a specific um, uh, intent. and. To additionally answer your question, I think it's um, also very telling that South Africa, of all states, is the one um, uh, bringing um, uh, this case. Of course, in the West, um, uh, we are raised to believe that the only country that has ever had any moral authority and whose moral authority will be never superseded is the United States. Um, But, you know, in the international community, and around the world, you know, the Europeans can pontificate about human rights and the rule of law as much as they like. Um, But South Africa does have a unique moral credibility, a unique political credibility, and that it has um, uh, chosen to invest this moral and political capital into this uh, case, I think speaks volumes. This is no frivolous lawsuit it would have been thrown out immediately. Now, the thing to understand about the International Court of Justice, uh, this is not a court that can enforce its um, judgments. They are binding, but but not enforceable. Only the Security Council um, can adopt resolutions to enforce ICJ resolutions. And given the composition of the Security Council, that's out of the question. But I think again, the primary significance of, uh, of this is um, uh, symbolic and political. I think it's quite likely that in this first stage that the court will um, uh, adopt what are called provisional measures which are um, measures that Israel needs to take to prevent further irreparable harm uh, to the Palestinians. As far as their final ruling on, on whether or not they will find that what Israel is doing in Gaza is indeed tantamount uh, to genocide, I, 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 wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't venture um, uh, to, to offer an opinion on that. South Africa has certainly convinced me. Um, South Africa has convinced um, uh, people who have forgotten more about international law than I'll ever learn um, including many very distinguished jurists. But this is um, not just a court of law. Um, it is also, in an, an important respects, a political institution.
0: Speaking of uh, Israeli crimes, you had a thread which was then turned into an article at Mondo Weiss about the history of Israel's ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. And as you point out, the plans for it go back to the late 19th century uh the beginnings of the zionist movement can you talk about this history
1: and to hear the rest of the interview please go to usefulidiotspodcast.com that
0: was great love talking to moeen
1: yes and you know he works closely with norman finkelstein and you can expect them to collaborate a lot more especially as this icj court case against israel for genocide unfolds they'll both have a lot to say about it so watch out for that and thank you very much to Muin for joining us he's hard to book so i'm really grateful that he took the time to uh join youthful idiots
0: and we will see you next week or you can also see me ronya callick abby martin and claudia de la cruz on tuesday january 16th at 7 p.m at the people's forum At 320 West 37th Street, you can get your tickets at peoplesforum.org. And if you can't make it live, then you can go watch it at youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show.
1: All right, everybody. Thanks so much for watching. See you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For extended episodes, bonus content, and our weekly Thursday Throwdown episode, please subscribe at usefulidiotspodcast.com. Support the show for free by subscribing on YouTube, Rumble, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and review. You can also follow us on Twitter at UsefulIdiotPod. Thanks for supporting independent media. We'll see you next time.